No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Welcome aboard, everybody. Let me cast off a few lines and we'll get underway. Thanks for joining me on Talking Bass in PDX, the Bass and Warm Water Forum for the Northwest, as we talk fishing in the Northwest and bass fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark, and I'll be your host. On this episode of Talking Bass in PDX, I'll host Bob Judkins. Bob's been a long-time fisherman here in the Northwest, but before we get to him, let me talk to you about Talking Bass in PDX, the podcast. The podcast is all about fishing in the Northwest, and if you enjoy listening, help us grow by telling your friends about the podcast and that we can be heard on Spotify, Anchor FM, and now on iTunes. Bob, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Well, I'm glad to be here in River City. It's, uh, it's uh, anything we do to promote uh, warm water fishing is great by me. Well, that's, that's a wonderful sentiment because, you know, warm water fishing is really going to be the next big thing here in the Northwest. We are on the forefront of that. Well, I understand that you grew up right here in the Portland area and that you started fishing when you were about 12 or so. And were those first fishing trips, were they for warm water fish or where did you start? Well, basically, they were trips to the Columbia Slough with night crawlers on our bicycles, catching anything that would eat a worm. That includes carp, bass, catfish, yellow perch, and that's basically how, how I started fishing. And then a friend of mine that I played Little League with, he, uh, his dad and him trout fished a lot, and uh, we became buddies, and so I've, uh, I've caught my fair share of trout back then. Well, I think it's great to go fishing any way you can. And, of course, learning about both cold water and warm water fish, I think, is a great thing to do here in the Northwest because we happen to have both of them. But now, as you started to uh, become a young adult and, and uh, started to kind of hone your, your warm water skills, I've heard that you guys have had a couple stories that you, uh, that you went on some trips, and uh, they call them Rambo trips. Can you tell me about one of those? Oh, yes, I can. Uh, my friend Bill uh, met through work that uh, we had interested in, in fishing, and we decided to go on these week-long adventures, and we decided to call them Camp Rambo. That means no shaving, no showers, uh, food and water and sustenance. That was it. So uh, we decided one time to go to Oahe Reservoir which I didn't realize how far away that is on the other side of the state. And so you drive for like six to eight hours to get there, which happens to be the biggest reservoir in the state of Oregon. And we had his uh, dad's boat, which was like a, I believe it was 12-foot flat-bottom pram with a 20-horse motor on it. And we took everything that we needed for the trip and loaded it into that boat and headed up this reservoir to a place called Pelican Point, which is halfway up the reservoir. It has a dirt airstrip, 
and stuff there. And that's where that's where we that's where we camped, set up camp for for the whole week that we were there. Was this before you became a member of the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, or was this after? This was this was like I said, it was a long time ago. But we Bill had grown up cold water fishing, and he just he he was he was going towards the warm water side. He wanted to experience this, and his experience and my experience was not very much. But we're going. You know, this was uh, that this uh, opportunity to go someplace we've never been. And so now you guys and have loaded up this this boat. You've got your camping gear, fishing gear, food for a week, and you're headed off. How far did you go away from the cars? Oh, I I, I can't tell you how long that reservoir is because I don't remember, but it, it could have been 20 miles. At at at. 15 miles an hour. It seems like it took us forever to get there. But that's that was the plan, and that's what we did, you know, and stuff. In the, in the days when we would get ready, in, we'd get ready to go fishing, we'd lower everything in there we needed for the day, and oh, dark 30, we're, we're going, and we wouldn't get back sometimes until dark because the boat was just that slow. But it, it was, uh, we caught a lot of bass. Uh, we actually caught a lot of crappies, and we got to where we were pretty excited about that we could go down the bank and say, oh, the crappies are going to be right here against this bank, and they were. The, uh, it, it, it's a beautiful reservoir, lots of rocks, colors. It, it, it's really a, a unique place that uh, neither one of us have ever been in that kind of uh, area before. So it was a lot of fun. And like I said, every day it was a little trip farther up the reservoir into a different arm. And uh, one day we were fishing in uh, one of the arms on the point, and we could hear this noise. And it's a big roar. And we're going, what is this? What, what's this thing? We hear this noise coming and stuff. And all of a sudden, here pops this B-52 bomber skimming off the water. I don't know how far. But it was low, and the guy in in the in the front, he's waving at us. That's the first guy we saw all week. Was that B fifty two bomber coming through there? That was pretty cool. Wow, and I I will bet you were glad when you saw that continuing on past you too. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, I didn't realize that sometimes they come there to practice canyon flying. Because if you don't practice, you don't get good at it. So it, it, it was pretty exciting. But it, like I said, that's, that's, a, that's the only guy we've seen all week. That was it. it it's wow. a desolate place. Now, when you were fishing in this particular trip, now, were you guys just using uh, worms and hooks and weights, or were you using some plastics? Had you, had you started to per perfect your techniques yet? Uh, not really, but what we were using was some uh, larger-than-normal crappie jigs that uh, Fisherman Marine had at their original store. And we did have worms, but we didn't use them very often unless we were catfishing and stuff. But we just basically threw these, uh, I'd say they're about two-inch red and white, green and white, 
crappie jigs, but they were about two inches instead of a little over an inch, and, and we caught everything on them. So we is that that was our early technique. That's all. That's all we knew. You know, we hadn't uh, we hadn't joined the bass and panfish club at that time yet. Well, that must have been an exciting trip, and I know that you have taken several others. So on some other episodes, we got to get into some of those other stories because I'm sure there were some great uh, some great happenings there. But then you joined the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, and I know that you started to learn more and more about bass fishing. And in fact, now you belong to the Lower Columbia Bassmasters Club. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, when uh, when I joined the panfish club, I was basically a pan fisherman and lots of crappies. Uh, some people used to call me Crappie Bob. This is this this was it was fun catching lots of fish. That that was the best thing of it. Actually, fished a few crappie tournaments and stuff. So it uh, I had the competitive part, but uh, I wanted to become a better bass fisherman. And uh, my friend, Bill Egan, who is uh, a longtime member of the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club, he kind of took me under his wing and uh, was showing me how to, how to catch bass. And that got me started. Did a lot of reading in Fishermen and other magazines and listening to there's a, there's a lot of knowledge in the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club. My friends at Columbia River Bassmasters, I tell them all the time that just because they don't tournament fish doesn't mean they don't have knowledge, and they have lots of knowledge. It's a good place to go to learn. Yes, it's a very interesting club because, as you said, that is a place to go to learn. But then having the competitive nature, I'm sure that you wanted to get into to some of the tournament uh, fishing. Now, uh, off the top of my head, I can't tell you when you won uh, Angler of the Year for the Bassmasters, but it was just recently, wasn't it? I've actually won it a couple times. Uh, two years ago was the last time, and I think maybe it was, I belonged there six years. And I think I won their uh, Angler of the Year the third year I was there. When I first joined there, it was it was very interesting because they referred to me as the panfish guy. And uh, after I had brought some of my friends as guests for tournaments and stuff, we're allowed to bring uh, one guest a year that they realized that just because I wasn't from a tournament club, the people I knew and the information they had it makes you a better bass angler. And they were a little bit tight with their information, some people, but I think I've influenced them enough when anybody would ask me, well, what did you use and how did you do it? i tell them because I, I really like teaching and making trying to help people be better anglers. I'm I'm pretty much a finesse guy. I've worked construction my whole life. My arms and joints don't like repetition so much. And so I, I, I finesse fish right off the bat because finessing is always supposed to be the easiest way to catch them. So that's that's where I start. 
and you catch your fair share of really nice bass finesse fishing. So as a finesse fisherman, and, and I consider myself a, a finesse person too, mainly because I like the style. I, I, I can cast all day long, but I would rather work a bait and, and try to catch fish. I think it's more fun. Tell me a little bit about your favorite baits and how you use them. Well, I one of the things I like to tell people that are learning, there is no rules. You can fish anything any way you want because the fish don't know. But my favorite my favorite technique is drop shotting. I'm more comfortable to have 20 some feet under my boat and throwing not to three or four feet or six feet, but deeper water. And that usually works really good early in the year and in the fall. When they come to the bank, that's when I struggle a little bit. But on my drop shot, uh, I, uh, I like to use my favorite is a two and a quarter inch crappie white pearl tube, Bass Pro. It is, uh, it's a large, larger tube, but it's only two and a quarter inches. And I think it, it, it looks like little, little fish. And, and they eat it. They really like it because when things get tough, they'll eat little things. They won't eat big things and stuff. So that's one of my favorite, favorite uh, baits that I use drop shotting. But then, too, I always like the little small minnows. That you can use, they, uh, they they work really well too. And sometimes I even drop shot a four-inch swim bait on bluffs. That's uh, it's fun to take somebody fishing, pull up on a bluff and it's 65 feet deep, and you throw your drop shot out there against the cliff, and they think you're fishing 65 feet deep. But what you're really fishing is the little ledges that they sit on. And when that bait drops past them, they can't help themselves but to chase it. And you can you can catch some really nice one, tournament fish in the fall doing that. Now, within the tournament groups, I notice, I notice that you guys fish upriver uh, on the Columbia, uh, Hood River, uh, Salilo Pool, that type of thing. Before you got involved with tournament fishing, were you fishing more of the Willamette or were you fishing up in that area? Uh, before I got involved in tournaments, I used to fish the Willamette when I had a little boat, but then when I got a bigger one, we used to go to Brownlee twice a year, once in the, once in the spring, once in the fall, and, and I would occasionally fish the gorge at, at that time, but not like I do now. That has become, it's, it's, to me, it's easier to catch bigger fish in the gorge than any in than in the Willamette, and I took a friend of mine out there uh, last year, and he said the little fish are bigger in the Columbia, and, and that's true. There's an opportunity always to catch some three pounders. Now, although we're recording this in June. Uh, just a week or two ago, you were up in the uh, Hood River area, and didn't you get a uh, a fairly large smallmouth up there? Uh, that yeah, I did. I, I did. It was out of uh, uh, Rowena, 
I caught uh, a 20-inch smallie uh, on a swim baits. Swim baits are my crankbaits now because there's no bill on it that says it can only go 5 feet or 10 feet or 15 feet. You just let it, if you want to fish it shallow, you bring it back quicker. If you want it to go deeper, you just let it go deeper. And uh, the Kitek swim baits, I, I really like those. They, 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 they look like fish. They swim and uh, like fish, and they work really good. In fact, when I caught that 20-incher, just before it, I caught a, a 19 and three-quarters. So it was like back-to-back big three-pounders. And it, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. And water that was probably only seven feet deep. So for folks that are listening, and we, and we get listeners from all over the United States. In fact, we get a few people from Canada listening to us. If you're interested in, in fishing the Columbia River, certainly drop me a note. I'll have my email address uh, at the end of the show, and, uh, and I'll be happy to, to uh, pass that information on to Bob and have him you know, point out a couple places to you to, to go because it is a world-class fishery up but only an hour or two from Portland. So it's really kind of fun to go up there. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask or talk about here a bit was what type of rod and reel do you like to use? I Normally when on the deck of my boat, there'll be normally is uh, four spinning rods. Uh, when you watch the major bass tournaments and stuff, they, they, that they, a lot of them. That's that's finesse fishing, but that's that's what I like to use. Like a, a six foot six, medium, medium light, uh, a uh, Shimano Nasi reel, a twenty five hundred stuff. Uh, on my spinning reels, I like to use uh, Fireline, basically because. You can fish that fire line all season, and it doesn't get the twisties, and you can cast a long ways with it. And, and I tie a Yozuri hybrid leader on it, about three feet long. And uh, that is pretty much my rods that I use. I do have, I do have a, a, a cranking rod in there that I put a Zara Spook on. It's getting pretty cl- close right now in the in uh, Willamette to uh, have a really good topwater bite here pretty quick. Since we're talking about the Willamette, and I believe we would talk about uh, the mid-Willamette, I'm not sure it's called the upper Willamette, but from the falls at Oregon City as far back as you can go in a boat, uh, which is about the Yamhill River, uh, I believe you told me just the other day you caught 33 uh, smallmouth bass in, in a day. Uh, well, last week I went twice. I went with uh, with Bud Hartman, and uh, we caught 60 smallmouth bass. And we, we had, but we didn't travel that far. We did from the 10th Street ramp up past uh, Molala. That was about as far as we went. And then last Friday, I took my granddaughter. She's 22. She's been after Grandpa to take her fishing, so we went out of Newburgh because they, they live out that way, and, and we caught 33, and she, she caught half of them. 
you know she she did all right uh i was was proud of her she uh she fished with a drop shot with a with the little white tube the bite was relatively tough if you threw something big they didn't seem to want it when i spotted them every now and then chasing they were chasing a fish that wasn't much over an inch and a quarter long so a small bait was uh, was the thing to use but we put uh, we put 40 miles on the boat so we that's, we ran around and did some looking that's quite a quite a little moving around on the river do you notice that this year 2020 is different than other years that you have fished on the river because of weather not necessarily because of all the other stuff that's going on but because of weather it's uh I've been keeping a log book since I think eighty five and the and the temperatures are similar. The thing that might be different ever now and then is the river level might come way up or not as much. Uh, the upper river has been flowing at Salem. I only use the Salem gauge because that's what the newspaper used to have a long time ago uh was uh seven to eight foot and that's almost down to summer level late summer you know so it's a little bit different the lower river below the falls right now is backed up and it i think it's about 12 feet and it's backed up because the columbia is up and stuff but it, it it changes every year someday years you might go out there because i was surprised early in the year that how low the water was in, in February and March. It was it was it was way late summertime low, and and so it's always different. But you get what you get, and you just go fish it. There you go. Now, I, I have not asked you this question before, and I've you know, met, you know, seen you many many times at the club meetings and things. But do you like spring fishing or fall fishing, or do you have a a favorite time of the year? Uh, it's uh, warm water fishing. When I first started, it was when you're a newbie, you have a hard time catching fish, and so you like the water to be warmer. It used to be, I used to ask people, well, when do you start warm water fishing? Well, they say when the snow disappears in the hills around there, around the Portland area. And so that usually means somewhere around 60 degrees in there and that that's when it's the easiest to catch them when the water is warm but over the years you keep fishing your skills get better and and pretty soon you're going these these ice fishing guys they catch them in the dead of winter so you think I should go out there and try that you know and, and you and you put your time in in the winter time I'm not going to go in a train it I'm too old anymore but you can go on a nice day and in the winter time and you might get two or three bites so you don't get too many chances but sometimes it's a really nice one but I have a had a friend that he he was telling me that you're not a bass angler until you catch a smallmouth bass every month of the year and so uh, my buddies and stuff that that was goal many years ago to do that and my, almost all my friends have done it that they've caught a smallmouth bass every month of the year 
And that means being out there. I think the coldest water I've ever caught them in is 39. You don't catch a bunch, but you can catch them. Because if you don't eat, you starve. But this is the thing with the small baits. They don't seem to like a big bulky bait because it takes too much energy to to eat it. Well, I'll share a quick story. Uh, I believe it's been about three or four years ago now that this happened. But uh, the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club started a little tradition called uh, First Fish of the Year. And that was the year that they opened Hag Lake uh, year-round. And Hag Lake, as many people may know, is uh, west of Portland, just about an hour. And we invited a few club members out. And I recall that you and uh, and uh, Bill Ramsauer were together in his boat. Maybe you were in your boat. And you got the first bass of the year uh, of the uh, three or four boats that were out there. And the water was about 39 to 40 degrees. So they can be caught year-round because that was on January 1st. And that was, uh, that was a, a, a great deal to watch you fishing. And, and again, you were fishing a small bait. Uh, and, it was, and you were going pretty slow with it. So that was, that was pretty interesting. Well, it, 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 that's a fun thing to do in the middle of the winter if it's not raining and freezing on the ramp. But it's, uh, it's, it, it can be done. You get a nice day, somebody's going to catch a bass or two. It always happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, one of the things that I always like to ask uh, my guests is, if you only had one bait on your boat and you could only have one, what would be the one bait that you would take fishing? Oh, gee, that's a. Uh, I I will I would have to say, it it would be my little white crappie tube. It's uh, they called magnum squirts is what they're called, and they're two and a quarter inches long. But they uh, that that would probably be it. I think that's that's my favorite. I try all different kinds of things when I go out and fish, but when it, Sometimes when it gets tough, it's it's my fallback thing. So I, I would say that's you know that and uh, and senkos and dingers, but the the little white tube, yeah. I really like that. It's it's always interesting to try to uh, pin somebody down and say what would you go to if you only had one because because I would probably go with uh, a watermelon colored um, baby brush hog. And that would be my go-to, but everybody has one that they they go to, and and I tend to fall back on that uh, that brush hog. Um, now, what is the most surprising thing that you've ever caught in in your fishing career? Oh, oh, the surprising thing that I've caught. Uh, there's two things that I've surprisingly caught. Uh, one of them was a shoe rack. That that was that was pretty amazing. And another one, when they used to have the sewer overflows happening, I caught a strange item on my crankbait. Okay. Those are the two. <laughs> And not not being fish, but the strangest right. things. Right. No, that's you know. not. I've been asking my guests that question, and, and sometimes I get some crazy answers. I think on one of them, I 
somebody caught a fender, you know, like a car fender. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was kind of kind of interesting. Um, and so on these long days, though, when you're out on tournaments, how do you keep yourself going when the fishing is a little tough and you're not catching as many fish as you normally would want to? Well, when you're in a tournament, it's uh, usually there. Some some clubs go out at the crack of dawn. Our club usually is, goes at at six o'clock, first safe light, and we're usually back by three or three thirty. So that's not necessary. My fun fishing days are longer than my tournament days. But when you're out there trying to catch fish. Time flies so fast. If you've never fished in a in a tournament or something, it, it'll just amaze you how fast time flies when you're trying to catch bigger fish. You know, it, uh, it, it it's amazing. Yeah, that's interesting. I know that, uh, and I've and I've spoken about the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club. Um, All species challenge. Now, of course, you have to be a member in order to uh, to participate in that. And and I know that you participate in it pretty regularly, but that day from eight o'clock in the morning till two o'clock it seems to go so quick that you're trying to target ten different species. So I can imagine that a tournament day must be going just as fast uh, when you're out there on the water. It, it does. It's it's amazingly quick how, how that that happens, but uh, that. To me, it's a, that's a, it's an easier day instead of staying out all day from daylight to dark like I used to do when I was a young man. And and I'm sure that there are still times when you when you do like to stay on a long day, if you especially if you're into the fish and you're you're showing somebody how to catch them. I'm sure it's still fun. Now, yeah, it is. Well, go ahead. It is. It is. Uh, it, it's always fun. Fishing with somebody, and and particularly if they, I have a few friends that like to start at oh dark thirty. That's a little early for this retired person, but we do go. And sometimes we've been out there and it's dark putting the boat in, and uh, we don't come back until it's dark. And some of those days have been some of the best fishing trips we've been on. It's uh, like I said. I like to put in 10th Street, go up to the Yam Hills. That's a 60-mile round trip, and there's lots of places in between there that you stop, catch some fish, and just keep on going. And you you can have a hundred fish day for the boat easily. Yeah, and I've I've talked to you just after some of those those long days, or or talked to the the people who've gone with you, and you, you guys do put in some time, and you do catch some fish. Now, we, we sort of kicked this thing off with kind of a neat story about uh, when you first started fishing, but now that you've gotten into tournament fishing, what's one of your favorite stories from one of the days of, of being out on the tournament or at a tournament and fishing? Oh, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, well, I think one of my, one of my favorite days is uh, the first year I was fishing with Columbia River. And we were fishing out of Celilo, and I was a non-boater. And uh, fishing with Tim, and the 
the boat guy takes you wherever you go, and you, and you just fish. And, and we're fishing, and we're not catching. We're not catching anything. And uh, so Tim's moving back upriver, and I think it's about, oh, about 11.30, and uh, we're fishing in front of Little Miller Island, and there's a duck hunter or goose hunter on the little island who was not happy with us being out front on this clear bluebird day, which I didn't think was much of a bird hunting day. But he was not happy with us. We didn't want to leave because we're starting to catch a few fish right there. And he stands out there for a little while staring at us, and then he lets off around into the water. And Tim says, you know, I think it's time for us to go. So, so we did. We took off, and he asked me, he says, uh, do you know any place to uh, fish up here? I says, I have only walleye fish up here, but I do have a place. I says, I think we might get bit there. So we went to this place, and I'm, I'm drop-shotting my white tube. This is in October, I think, and I'm, I'm catching fish. We're starting to call fish and stuff. And uh, pretty soon, Tim says, you got any more of those baits? And I says, I do, I do. So he puts one on, and he catches a giant. You know, he catches a giant smallmouth. And uh, he, he says, what is this? And I tell him it's a crappie tube. It's just something I, I like to do. And he's telling me, you can't tell the guys about this. This is a great bait. So we continued to fish and went down along Miller Island, and from 11:30 to three, we ended up we ended up with almost 20 pounds of smallmouth for five fish. And and Tim, he, he's you can't tell these guys, but that's not me. So at the at the at the meeting. After the tournament and stuff, they ask you what you caught and stuff. And I show them and I tell them because I share and stuff. I want to learn. They want to learn. But that that's probably one of my favorite stories because there was uh, some tense situations there. And yeah, so it, 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 was, it was fun. Yeah, cool. Now, here a while back, I did a, I did a podcast. And I kind of wanted to talk to you about this, so I, I think I'll bring it up a bit, is the perception of warm water fish in, in Oregon, Oregon, southwest Washington. And I kind of have a little motto that I, that I tell people on, uh, when they're talking to me about, about fishing, and I know that we harvest fish. I'm not saying we don't harvest fish, but I just wanted to get your, your, your feel on this. My little thing is game fish are too valuable to be caught only once. But I just want to get your opinion on um, bass fishing here in the Northwest and how people should take care of of our fishery because you and I could both sit here and tell how other fisheries have not been taken care of. So what's your what's your thoughts? Well, I can say in my younger days I harvested too. Uh, I used to harvest, well, I used to every year harvest 35 crappies. That's a 70 fillets. That was more than enough for the wife and, and a couple of walleyes. 
I have I have uh, harvested bass way back when. I, I even sometimes allow some of my senior friends that want to take one or two home, but they got to be the 12 inches and under. No big ones. Uh, they're too valuable. Uh, the state doesn't appreciate what we have, but I think you're going to get me in trouble here. That I I think that they can't manage what they have, so trying to have more harvest on warm water fish, they can't manage that either. These fish are not going to disappear. They might become impacted a little bit, but I've actually seen young people out on the river fishing with night crawlers, catching bass, and surprisingly letting them go. I think it's just uh, they've seen enough of the shows on TV and miscellaneous that it, the work don't start until you take it home and have to clean them. So it's just easier to let them go. It, you know, catch them next time. Let them get bigger. Well, and, and I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to kind of get you in the corner there. I just wanted to get your opinion because I'm pushing the fact that we all, as fishermen, uh, need to need to take care of our fishery. And I'm not going to say you can't take some because because you have to. Sometimes you you do have to take a few. Sometimes you hurt one and it's not worth putting it back. You don't want it to be left there like that. But you know, I just like to I like to get that out there because I keep trying to push that message out there and say, you know, you want to come into Oregon, you want to fish, that's great. We invite you all. We'll show you where to go. But you know, take care take care of our our resources for us. That's all. That's all I'm asking. And um, well, that's, a, that's a that's a good you know it's a it's a good thing that you know that we preach that. The uh, I I have had situations where. Somebody wanted to learn how to do some bass fishing, and I showed them, and I neglected to tell them if we catch a big one, you you just take a picture of it and, and let it go. And, I, and, I, and I've had them, I could not get them to put that big four-pounder back. It was, there's no way. So now when I, I learned from that, that when I take people out, I let them know right away, if we catch some giant bass, they're going back. You know, they're, they're just way too valuable. My friends that I come across that like the salmon anglers and stuff, that they, uh, they, uh, it, a bass is a predator. But I try to explain to them that big fish eat little fish. That's just the way it goes. And they can't, they can't eat them all. And they don't eat them all, but the biggest predator is the two-legged predator. And he'll take a fish that's 50 miles from spawning grounds, kill it, and fish with the eggs. And that's how I explain predator to them. And yep. uh, they they kind of look at it and they say, well, you're pretty much right. Well, and one of the things that I've noticed is that since... And I'm not going to pick on any particular uh, fishery, but since there are some fisheries that are have less fish, let's just put it that way, they have less fish, some of the fishermen are looking for other things to catch. And, hey, if they stumble on this show and they want to they wanna talk about bass or walleye or, or crappie, hey, send me an email. I'm happy to, I'm happy to talk about them with them and, and put them on them because, uh, 
you know, I, I still want people to fish. I, I want them to enjoy the sport. But uh, again, I think they should take care of the take care of the resources that we have. That's that's basically what I what I want to get out there. Well, Bob, it has been a great bit of time with you, and, and of course, it's an honor when I get to when I get to chat with you for a while like this. I'll give you the last word. What what would you like to uh, put out there on the podcast? Just have fun and go fishing. Teach somebody. Show them how much fun it is and that you don't have to keep them all. If you, have, if you want to eat a few, eat a few. But uh, I think the last thing I'd like to say is that it's been, I don't know what year it was that... Uh, the trout limit in the state of Oregon was 100 fish, and you see what you have now. Well, I think that's well said, and I think that's well put, and I think it, uh, I think it really sends a message. So, Bob, I'd like to thank you for coming on the uh, podcast today, and if anybody has any questions or show ideas or wants to give me some feedback, send me an email at PDX at gmail.com. I'll put that in the show notes so that uh, folks can uh, send me an email, ask me any type of questions that they'd like. And I'd like to thank everybody for stopping by and listening in to us. And until next time, this has been Don Clark, Talking Bass in PDX, and I'll see you on the Backcast. <laughs>